book of Psalms, Psalm 45, and looking at the verses from verse 10. Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall a king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. Now, two weeks ago we began to look at uh, this Psalm 45, which we could say is a psalm of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, in the first instance, a wedding celebration which was applied to a king in Israel. What king, we know not. But uh, it is using figurative language uh, based on an ancient wedding form. And it's important for us to know that wedding form that is depicted here in this psalm. First of all, there was the engagement or the betrothal. The bride and groom were committed to one another by an oath, and God's blessing was pronounced on that union in the engagement and the betrothal. And after that engagement, there was an interval of time. And in that interval of time, the groom paid a dowry to the bride's parents. And so that time was necessary between the engagement and the actual wedding. And then the wedding day came, and the attendants of the bride were at her father's house, and the attendants of the groom were at his own house. And he came along to her house, and she and her attendants were escorted back to his house. And at his house, the wedding feast, took place. And that's uh, what is described here, this wedding. Well, we believe that this being a messianic psalm, that the bridegroom here is the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came to this earth to betroth a bride to himself, that he paid a handsome price to purchase her, the price of his own blood, that she is here upon earth waiting for the wedding day. She is preparing herself for that wedding day. And he is to return to this earth for his bride, the church. And on that day, the day of his second coming, he will take her to be his bride. And there'll be the marriage feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, the psalmist is the official songwriter for the wedding and he's delighted to do it my heart he says is indicting a good matter I speak of the things which I have made touching the king my tongue is the pen of a ready writer he's overflowing with matter he's so full of what's happening and he has no difficulty writing about it conveying this wonderful thing and he begins to speak about the bridegroom first of all and we saw that a fortnight ago and we saw three things about the bridegroom. We saw, first of all, his beauty. Thou art fairer than the children of men. He's all fair. In his godhood and in his manhood, he is all fair. In the combination, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is beauty. There is that fairness. And also, there is grace poured into his lips. And God has blessed him. That's the reason why he is such a person, because God has blessed this person. 
But then secondly, we saw that he, is a, that he has strength. We saw his strength. He's a hero. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. You see, in order to win his bride, he must ride into the jaws of the enemy. She is surrounded by enemies, his enemies and her enemies. And in order to take that bride to himself, he must conquer these enemies. And so he's a hero going forth to conquer and to overthrow his enemies and to capture his bride for himself. And then the third thing we saw about him is his kingdom. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is our right scepter. And he's got a kingdom and he's got a palace and he's got a seat of power. And that's where he's going to take his bride. He's going to take her to his palace and he's going to take her into his kingdom and she is going to sit at his right hand. And that's the bridegroom. And he is coming in the wedding procession. He's coming to this earth. He's coming into view as it were. Coming near the bride's home. And one day he's going to appear at the bride's home. So then the psalmist turns to speak about the bride in verses 10 to 15. He's spoken about the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he begins to speak about the bride, the church. And the first thing he speaks about is the bride's allegiance. You see, the bride, as brides perhaps often have, a certain nervousness in coming up to their wedding day, a certain misgiving perhaps about herself. Perhaps some, some self-distrust, some self-doubt. Can, can he, in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, anyway, one so glorious and so majestic, want me for his wife? And so, in that mood that the church is in, her attendants speak to her. She needs comfort. She needs counsel. And so, therefore, counsel and comfort are given to her. And these are the attendants who are speaking in verse 10. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. She needs to hear something in anticipation of the wedding day. And so these attendants are coming to her and giving her counsel and comfort. And I hope it's not too fanciful to think of these attendants as the pastors and the ministers of the church of Jesus Christ. How they are seeking to prepare that bride for our wedding day. Remember what Paul said, My little children for whom I labor in birth again till Christ is formed in you. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Pastors and elders and teachers are given to the church to prepare that church for our wedding day that she may be presented without spot to her heavenly bridegroom and you see when preparations have fallen into neglect then these pastors and these teachers these elders they have to bring searching and convicting preaching to the bride in order that she might be awakened out of her slumber 
But also there are times when they need to be gentle, when they need to bring gentle teaching to, her, to this bride because of her self-doubt and her misgivings. But you see, they're speaking to her and they're saying, Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. She, on her part, has to listen. She has to be willing to be taught. She must give heartfelt attention to what these people are saying to her. Because, you see, this is counsel for our wedding day. This is preparation for that great day when she will be married to the heavenly bridegroom. So what does the, these counselors, these attendants say? First of all, they say to her, all loyalties must not compete with new. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. Remember when a servant went for a wife for Isaac, and he met Rebekah, and he says to her, Wilt thou go with this man? Are you willing to leave parents and family and friends and country in order to go with this man? And that's the question that is asked of the earthly bride. Wilt thou go with this man? And she must answer, I must go. She must forget and disavow her former connections. The king must be the one and only love in our life. The heavenly bridegroom must be the one and only love in our life. Forget thine also thine own people and thy father's house. He must have all our heart. That's why she has to break off her connections, her worldly connections. That where she came from, she must disown in order that she might give her heart and her devotion to her heavenly king and bridegroom. Forget also thy people and thy father's house. And then the second thing is this, that because of that, the king, the bridegroom, will love his bride all the more for her attachment to him. Now, what right have we to say that? Well, I think we have proof for that in the New Testament from the words of our Lord himself when he said before he left this world to his disciples he who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved of, of my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, the king is willing to do this. As we've said on several occasions before, in that call he gives to the church in Laodicea, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and I will sup with him and he with me. He'll take a delight in that person. And you see, there's that that response so shall a king greatly desire thy beauty the king is enthralled by your beauty and you may say how can he be enthralled with the beauty of, of the bride well we see so often in the song of Solomon the love that Christ has for his church just as a church has a love for Christ so Christ has a love and a delight in his church. To her, she is the most 
to him she is the most beautiful of women. This is the love that Christ has for his church, for his bride, for his people. And then the third thing is, she is to honor him, for he is her Lord. For he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. It means bow down to him. And why should she bow down to him? Well, she is to bow down to him because she's one of the creatures that he has made. And he has been exalted and made Lord of heaven and earth, a God-given authority which he has to bow to. But not only that, but she has to submit to her, him as her husband. She is to call him Lord, just as Sarah called Abram Lord. She must express her love by holding him in high esteem and by submitting to all that he says. You see, love and obedience, love, honor and obey. We've lost that concept so much in society today and we're the worst for it. But you see, it's this concept that the love is a love that issues an obedience. He is thy Lord. Worship thou him. Honor him. He is thy husband, thy king. You are to obey him. You are to listen to him. You are to keep his commandments. The church is subject to our Lord in all things, in worship, in government, in doctrine, in discipline, in everything. She is subject to our Lord. We are to honor him as the heavenly bridegroom, as our husband. He is thy Lord. Worship him, honor him, give him reverence. And then fourthly, in this allegiance, the reward she receives. The daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. You see, she lost her friends, you might say. She lost her friends in becoming his bride. But you see, she's gained more friends and better friends. His friends and subjects are now hers. She is, a, she is the gainer, not the loser, by her homage to him. The daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. And Tyre, you might say, was the last word in wealth. And here we're talking about figurative language. And you see, the loss of her friends, the loss of earthly friends, will soon be forgotten in all the riches that he bestows upon her. King's daughters are among her honorable women. She's got the friendship of king's daughters. She has denied herself certain earthly things. But you see, what are they in comparison with the delights that he gives her? And this is something of the delight that he gives her. The daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. Coming to the bride and entreating the favor of the bride. You see, whatever sacrifices are made out of allegiance to Christ, whatever sacrifices we make in our commitment to Christ, we shall be richly compensated in this life and more abundantly in the life to come. That's the teaching that we have here. 
that allegiance, that love of the heart will be richly rewarded. And so we see the bride's allegiance. But then secondly, we see the bride's beauty. Verse 13, the king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. The bridegroom is coming to the door of the house where the bride is. And, she, and, he, and it is said of this bride, she is all glorious within. Within the palace, within her chamber, and her gown is interwoven with gold. She is attired in this way, within and without. She has that external splendor, but she's also got an inner, inner beauty. And the thing is this, that it's the bridegroom who has supplied the garments. It's the bridegroom who has provided for his bride. He has provided a robe of righteousness to cover her. Dressed in beauty, not my own. She can sing. And you see, he dressed her in that beauty. The robe of his own righteousness is that which covers his bride. But he's not only concerned with her external appearance, he's also concerned with that inner appearance. And so he makes her beautiful. He gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, that to present her to himself a glorious church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish. She is made this by himself in the work of purification, in the work of regeneration. She is purified, she is regenerated under the own ongoing work of sanctification. You see, that's the work of preparation. A process is going on in her life. During the time between the engagement and the wedding, there's a process going on. And that process is this, that she, she, she is beholding as in a mirror the glory of her Lord, and she's been changed into that likeness from one degree of glory to another. She's seeing the Lord. Where has she seen him? She's seen him held forth in the Word. She's seeing him held forth in the ordinances. She's seeing his beauty portrayed there in the preaching of the gospel. She sees her Lord there, and as she beholds the figure of her Lord held out in the gospel, she is being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. And you see, that process is going on in our preparation for our wedding day. But you see, it will not be complete until that wedding day. When we shall see him, we shall be like him. And not till then will the work be complete. Every man that has this hope purifies himself, even as Christ is pure. But only then will the process be complete. We shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. And so her beauty, the royal daughter, all glorious within. But then the second thing about her beauty is this that she shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. And here we have her, as it were, being carried along in this procession to be given to the king, to be given to the heavenly bridegroom. And you know, there's a, a, a picture here, we believe, 
of what happened at the very beginning. Remember how God brought the woman to the man, to the first Adam. And there was that coming of the first woman to Adam, the first man. And man being pleased with what God gave him. And you see, the church is brought, the, the bride is brought to Christ, the second Adam, the last Adam. A bride adorned for her husband, presented to the second Adam, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. She shall be brought unto the king. She's brought to this king in raiment of needlework. And she is followed by her companions, and they are brought to the bridegroom's home. She is brought in our beauty. And then the third and final thing we have here is the marriage itself. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. You see, she is led to the king's palace, to the house of the bridegroom, and this is the moment of marriage. The procession comes back to the bridegroom's home and he receives her as his bride Christ receives the church as his bride and that will be a very public occasion before the assembled world of men and angels Christ will receive his bride and there'll be that great marriage supper there'll be that great wedding day and she will be escorted into the king's palace into the place of her final abode. She'll be brought into that palace. And the first thing we are told about what's going to happen in that palace is that there'll be gladness and rejoicing. It's all joy and gladness. A festive mood prevails, just as it does at marriages. Yes, there's solemn commitments, but there are times for rejoicing. There are times for joy. And that's exactly what will happen at that marriage day in the king's palace. It will be a time for feasting, a time for joy, and a time for rejoicing. Yes, they have come out of great tribulation, and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, but they are now before his throne. They're in his palace, and it's a time for rejoicing. Every tear will be wiped away from their eyes. There'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sadness. It's a time for rejoicing. At the marriage supper of Adalam, we reach the highest peak of joy. Joy for the bridegroom, joy for the bride, joy for all the attendants. There'll be rejoicing and gladness on every side. There'll be a time of rejoicing like there never was in the history of the world. And not only that, but she enters the king's palace. And you see, she's there never to be parted. She's there for, to be forever with the Lord. They shall see his face. That's the great thing they are looking forward to. Think how Samuel Rutherford portrayed that. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not look on glory, but on my King of grace. He is heaven. And you see, they shall see his face. And God himself will be with them. 
and dwell among them. It's a palace, a city. You see, there's that security. Everything that would damage or harm it will be shut out. And they'll be in the palace forever. And not only that, but they'll share the inheritance in that palace, the palace of the king, because they will be seated at his right hand in that kingdom, in that palace. They will share his dignity, his privilege, and his riches. As we've been looking at Romans 8, if we suffer with him, we shall indeed reign with him. If we are his children, we shall be joint heirs with Christ. And there shall be that entering into the fullness of our blessings in that palace of the king. And you see, that's the marriage. And then there's a benediction on the marriage. These last two verses are very difficult to fit into this passage, but I think you have to look at them retrospectively and prospectively. They're looking back on this marriage and it's saying, Instead of the fathers, thy father shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. The union will issue in a numerous seed, in many sons. And you see, there's this, that those who believe in Christ are both the, the church and the sons of the church. They are the body of Christ and they are the children of Christ. So there's a retrospective look that this marriage that God designed is going to produce many sons, many children. And then there's a prospective look, and that is that these people are going to remember all who are gathered into the church will indeed sing the praises of this one throughout all eternity. People from every nation, every family, every tribe, every language, they shall praise thee. That's the bridegroom. They shall praise thee forever and ever. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. There'll be no end to the praise. It will be eternal. It will be everlasting. It will go on forever, the praises of that place. And so we see what this psalm is saying to us. And perhaps it speaks to us as God's people. How much longing have we for this day of the Lord? How much longing in our hearts do we have for this marriage day? Samuel Rutherford and look at his letters and see how many references he has to this kind of thing. Oh, what a rebuke that man and his letters are to us. This is just one example of what he says. Oh, when will we meet? Oh, how long, to, how, how long into it is to the dawning of the marriage day? Oh, sweet Jesus, take wide steps. Oh, my Lord, come over the mountains at one stride. Oh, my beloved, flee as a roe or a young heart over the mountains of separation. There was a man who was looking forward to that day. His love for Christ was such that he couldn't contain himself. He wanted the marriage union because he longed for the Lord Jesus Christ and he longed to see his face. And you see, we can measure something of our love to Christ in this day and age in which we're living by how much of that spirit is there in us. 
How much of that longing? Are we looking forward to the second coming? Are we waiting for the appearance of our Lord? Or are we asleep like these virgins all slumbered and slept? Even the wise ones, they were asleep. They were not eagerly anticipating the wedding day. They were not looking forward to that day. They had fallen asleep. And how many of us are falling asleep in the church in these days because our love has waxed cold. We're not in, in, in showing forth the love to the Lord Jesus Christ that would make us long for that day. And so we can counsel ourselves as we look at this psalm. But then also for those who have not got any love for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that will be a terrible day when, as the parable tells us, at midnight the cry will be heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go you out to meet him. Go you out to meet him. And what did they discover? They weren't ready to meet him. They didn't have oil in their lamps. And they had to go and look for oil for the grace that was necessary for their entering into heaven. They had to go out and look for it. But you see, it was too late then. The door was shut. As McChain said, some of the most solemn words that were ever pronounced by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the door was shut. The last door that will be shut. The door that will exclude you from heaven. The door that is open tonight is the gospel door. The door to that feast where all things are ready and where gospel ministers are going out and say, Come for all things are ready. Behold, this is the door. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. And that door tonight is wide open for you to come and enter into the blessings to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because now is the appointed time now is the day of salvation. And if you refuse to come through that door, there will be a day coming when it will be true of you, the door is shut. Because you left it too late. The door is shut. The bridegroom has come. The wedding feast has been, is, is, is now beginning. And the eternal kingdom is dawning. So it is too late. But this is the day of grace. This is a day of opportunity. This is a day of invitation to come through the gospel door and to meet the Lord Jesus Christ who is willing and ready to save. Come, for all things are ready. May God bless to us that word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank thee for the instruction of thy word and for its warnings to us that there is a day coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will appear in his glory and majesty. Oh, grant that we would meet him in this day of grace as our Saviour, that we would know him as our Saviour before we meet him on that day. Grant that we might be constrained tonight to hearken to the gospel call, to respond in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and to know him as our Saviour and Lord and as our heavenly bridegroom. Cleanse us, we pray thee, from all our sin. For Jesus' sake, amen.